Welcome to Why Sew, the podcast where some of your favorite sewing personalities and rising stars share what motivates them to create using needle and thread. I'm your host, Jason Prater, and with me today is Ray Cumby, the creative director for Fit for Art Patterns, well-known author, designer, and teacher. I'm super happy to have her on the show today. So welcome to Why Sew, Ray. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm absolutely certain that many of our listeners are familiar with you and and what you do. But for those that aren't, would you mind giving us a brief introduction of who you are and what you're all about? Certainly. So I uh, have been a sewing, I call myself a sewing entrepreneur. I have been a sewing entrepreneur for 35 years as my only job, 36 years as my only job. In the beginning, I was a custom dressmaker. I did a lot of weddings and special occasion garments and women's professional wear. And somewhere in the course of that journey, I also was having children when they went off to school. I had a little extra time. I started playing with wearable art as an expression of my own sewing. I wanted to sew for myself. And that became then a a great passion for me. And not that wedding gowns are not wearable art. They are in a way the ultimate wearable art. But (laughs) I started playing with more color and different kinds of fabrics. And I did a little stint as a craft show person, did a little line of garments. And then I started getting asked to teach. And in the process of teaching, I could not find a jacket pattern that would work for my students. So I was mostly being asked by the quilting and weaving community to help them make jackets with their Ah. fabric. And every pattern on the market was either super oversized, loose garment or a super tailored, you know, professional jacket. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't find anything that had sort of fitting options in it. And I, because I'd been doing custom work for so long, the fit was just preeminent to me. And it also felt like the reason why women had stopped sewing garments. A lot of women who had grown up sewing garments, I believe, like I did, had moved away from garment sewing because they couldn't get things to fit them. Uh And some of that has to do with the way women's bodies change and morph over the years. And some of it has to do with how the pattern industry was relating to them. There were so many things going on. But they found that quilting or weaving or hand, you know, that kind of work didn't require a fit element. And so they had embraced that and gone off in another direction and were doing their creative things without making clothing. So I got a grant from the Potomac Fiber Arts Guild, which is a very old, established D.C.-based fiber arts guild, to study jacket making with quilters and weavers. And so I did that. Uh, for about a year and a half and worked with this square armhole design pattern that I had sort of created for myself. I found it to be the best option for me when I was mixing fabrics and things like that. So we did it for people in a variety of sizes, making quilted jackets and handwoven coats. And then when it was finished and I presented it, they were all like, oh, you should turn that into a pattern for everyone. So, <laughs> bingo. Bingo. So, of course, that was way harder than we thought it would be or we realized it would be. But we navigate. I have a business partner. Her name is Carrie Emerson, and she mostly manages the business end, although she is also a sewer and makes beautiful, beautiful garments, too. And so we navigated the system. We set up a website. We started going to shows, selling our one pattern, our jacket pattern. That's fantastic. Um, uh, Now we have four patterns. We say we have four core patterns, which makes one great wardrobe. And um, every one of our patterns has then a core that you fit 
to your body. We have a lot of online resources to help you do that. We also at shows do sizings and fittings to help people get started on the right track. And then we offer variation patterns instead of brand new patterns. So that our basic jacket pattern, which was our first pattern, now has seven or eight variations and another one on the way. So you can change the design and the look. You can make it in all kinds of different ways, but you know it's the fit that you like and the comfort level that you like. So that's how we've structured our company's a very different pattern paradigm than anybody else is doing. But we feel like it gives people a baseline to have successful garment sewing experiences. And I love the simplicity that you have sort of built into that, making it easy for folks to create an entire wardrobe from just yeah. a couple of selections, right? It's not yeah. so overwhelming to look through. Well, that's really true. And actually, one of the things that I have read about in this sort of theory of creativity, which a lot of like scientists and academics are studying now is that if you have a parameter that you work within, you can be much more creative than if the world is your oyster. I mean, it Mm -hmm. helps you to have a little bit of structure so that you can organize your thoughts in your mind in in a good way. So we know that some people don't make our things in the way we would say as a creative way, but they're still using them to get dressed. Right. And people who long to have that creative sewing experience can use our things and our information we provide to um, to do that. That's fantastic. Well, right. Let me let me take you back to sort of the beginning. You know, what is maybe your first memory of sewing? How did you get started to begin with? Uh, you mentioned that you were a dressmaker and created professional clothing and, and all of those things 30 plus years ago. But how did you get started sewing to begin with? Well, I, like many people my age, I started at the, my mother's knees, basically. She sewed because she, she enjoyed the process, but mostly she sewed because she needed to. At that point, sewing was a way to save money. I don't really think it is now. I think now it's more of a way to express your creativity or find the fit that you can't find in ready to wear. But back then you sewed because it was cheaper to buy fabric and make it yourself than it was to buy it in the store. But she was not going to let me sew on the sewing machine. That was a very precious tool in the house. (laughs) Uh, And so, but I was invited to sit with her while she was sewing and she would create these projects for me. So I would tuft a doll blanket or I would, you know, all kinds of ways to get my fingers going, doing crafty, creative things. She would buy me, you know, little cross stitch things. And then we would turn it into a pillowcase or, you know, just the basic kind of things. Doll clothes. Although I think doll clothes are really hard to make because they're so tiny. (laughs) I can only imagine. I wasn't that great at the doll clothing. And it seems to me we had a neighbor across the street who like that was her job making Barbie clothes. And stuff. Oh, wow. So I had beautiful clothes for my dolls. So I did not <laughs> have to make them myself. Uh, did you enjoy this time spent with your mom sewing? I did. Or was this- I did. It was fun. Ultimately, I got tired of her control. I mean, as every child trying to make their own way in the world. I, I think I've heard this before. <laughs> I think that's right. And so I would, you know, I would go in and the, the sewing machine was in her bedroom. So, you know, it wasn't like I... It was out in public. Ultimately, it ended up down in a basement where I was able to sew on it whenever I wanted to, but not initially. And so 
I would sneak in when she was like fixing a meal and make a mess and she would just be furious. (laughs) And then I always wanted to sew things that were harder than she thought were appropriate for me. I always wanted to make Vogue designer patterns, you know, as I got a little older, not the little simple. Her theory, it's so fascinating because I've actually gone back in a way to her theory because her theory was she bought one pattern at the beginning of the summer or spring and my Easter dress and every dress I had the whole year was made with that one pattern. And she wasn't quite as creative mixing things up as I have gotten more skills and become braver. But I just thought that was just a total disaster that why would you make all these things that were the same? And I wanted to try new things. And the blessing, the best blessing I received was that my older brother had an older brother and he went off to college. And when he went off to college, my mother got a job. So, and she had to have clothes to wear and she didn't have time to make them. So she let me make them. And uh, at that point, the machine became mine. <laughs> how, old were you, how old were you at this I point? I was in the, I uh, just finished the ninth grade. Wow. So I started sewing for her and for myself and making costumes for school plays and, you know, lots and lots and lots of different directions to push the sewing envelope. I think that being at the sewing machine was one of my favorite places as a kid. So at this point, I mean, obviously your skills must have been pretty darn good if your mom was trusting you to make her work wardrobe. Well, you you know, she didn't. Like I said, she bought one dress and wanted 10 of them. So it wasn't really that hard. I did learn a few new fabrics, but, you know, she she was not wearing professional tailored garments or anything like that. But during that time, because I had surpassed her in a way and in what I wanted to know and the information I had back then. So that would have been in the 60s, late 60s. A lot of women did so. And we're we're really skilled hobby garment sewers. And so whenever there was something I wanted to learn, she knew somebody who knew it. You know, so I a woman down the street was a stretch and sew person. She taught me to work with knits and another lady was a tailor and she just tailored her own things. But she taught me to make a well pocket and put a lining in a coat. And so whenever I wanted to learn something. She would help me find the person that would teach it to me. Oh, that's fantastic. And, that, and that's how it worked. And until I went off to college and I did not study clothing, she did not think that was a worthy way to go. She wanted me to go to college. She had not had that opportunity. And so I went to school and studied religion and sociology with a minor in sight. And I had my sewing machine in my dorm room. And I would make things when I had a break or if I had to go somewhere or my husband, who became my boyfriend between my junior and senior year in college, tells the story of coming to my dorm room after exams were over to visit me and invite me to go somewhere. He said, and you were sitting at the sewing machine making a T-shirt. I didn't think people make T-shirts. And then you wore it to the party the next night. Like, what is this girl? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Wow. So would you, I mean, through all of that time, you know, you had all these different teachers, but would you look to any of them as sort of your primary teacher or the person that you feel like you learn the most from? Hmm. That's interesting. Not really. I mean, it's a true community then, right? I mean, it was, it really was. And that's how the sewing world was then in a way. I mean, it was a very communal group. The stretch and sew lady, she lived right down the street from me. Her name was Terry Sheets, and she worked for the original Sewing and Quilt Expo for a long time as their, I think, volunteer coordinator and stuff. 
she was really encouraging to me in a way that nobody else really was, you know. And then when my husband went to law school after I had worked and I worked in nursing homes, I was a nursing home social worker, social services director for about nine years. And he went to law school during that time. So on the side, I went to work in a bridal shop and I learned to alter wedding gowns as part of that process. And that is what the people there who taught me how to open up a garment and see what was inside and see how evening wear was made, which was not something I had ever really learned or studied. They started me on the track, you know, and they would bring in the the bridal shop would be asked to take somebody's mother's dress and turn it into a contemporary Mm. dress. And I would be given that. I mean, I was given projects I had no business doing, but (laughs) I did them and I learned from them. And it made me brave. Do you know what I mean? It made me go, oh, you know, there's not a lot of limit to what you can. You can do anything when you do this. So once I had my children and when he graduated law school and we moved to Baltimore, then I started just having a little shop where I took in alterations or did some original wedding work. And that just slowly grew over time. And I was fortunate to there was a group that was just starting in the United States at that time called PAC, the Professional Association of Custom Clothiers, which is now called the Association of Sewing and Design Professionals. And in Baltimore were two were, well, was one of the sort of premier couture teachers in America, Susan Kelji. And she organized a chapter of that group here in Baltimore. And that is really where I met the people who encouraged me to really dive deeply. And I could study with them privately. And I did. Every time I didn't know what I was doing, I would call them and say, can I buy an hour of your time and have you explain this to me? And that is how I really got sort of my professional legs under me and my sense of total competence. And because it was one thing in the bridal shop where it was somebody else's dollar and somebody else's project. It was another thing when you were the one having it in your house and doing it and sending it back out and making sure that you really knew what you were doing. You seem to have always found a way to be surrounded by a wonderful community of sewers, of Ah, skilled people. It's so true. I, I believe that is one of the best parts about the sewing world. I believe that sewers are just good people. They're kind and they're curious and they're interested in things. And I mean, sometimes I get a little cranky because I, if I'm, for instance, on the floor of a quilt show and I have my booth full of beautiful garments and I'm hawking my patterns and someone will say, well, you know, I don't sew, I quilt. And I say, I'm sorry, quilting is a subset of sewing. Just you like can't quilt without sewing. sewing. You sewing. cannot quilt without right? sewing. So there are people who have their own niche and they're not interested in anybody else's niche. But for the most part, I believe that stitchers are curious and they want to try new things and they want new opportunities. And for me, that's the best part about sewing. When I did the Threads podcast a while back, you had to say, what was your favorite part about sewing? And I said, my favorite part about sewing is that there's not one part that one day I get to cut. One day I get to design, one day I get to sew, one day I get to do all the hand finishes that make it beautiful in the end. I mean, there's so much, so much possibility with sewing projects that it always keeps me interested and curious. For sure. So you're at this point in your 
in your life, you're actually making wedding dresses. I mean, this is your primary yes, I job. Did. Uh, <laughs> I that, did. That had to be a pretty demanding thing. I can't imagine working with brides all the time, knowing that, you know, their special day is, is they're going to be, say, they're gonna be the spotlight, making the thing that's like the focal point of the right. entire event. Wow. A lot of stress there. So I would say that it was really helpful to have a social worker. <laughs> And and I found it fascinating to, you know, one one of the dilemmas that a lot of people who do bridal work have is that the mother-daughter relationship. And so you often have these mothers who have a totally different vision than the daughters and trying to get all that to work together <laughs> sometimes was a little complicated. But for the most part, I would say, and, and so much of it has to do, I, I believe, with your sort of just approach. For the most part, we always got to the right place. And we, you know, there was an occasional client that I would refer on to someone else. I would say, you know, I just don't feel like the mix is we're not dancing well together. <laughs> you go dance with somebody else. Here's some people that might be better for you, you know. But I really and I still just just. A month ago, I took apart an old, I mean, one of the, one of my favorite things is renovating old things or remaking them. And my, one of my daughters is getting married and and just in a courthouse wedding. And so she wanted a little lace sort of t-shirt to wear with a pair of pants. And she was home with me uh, at the end of uh, beginning of May. And so we found this old, I have a whole pile of old wedding gowns. People, when you work, when you do wedding work, people just give you stuff all the time. They don't know what to do with it. So they give it to you. I have a whole closet full of old uh-huh. wedding dresses. We went through them. We found this really beautiful dress from the sixties with beautiful lace. I took it apart and turned it into this little t-shirt for her. And I had to build almost the whole thing by hand, but it's beautiful. And every stitch was special to me. I mean, she trusted me to do it for her. I was able to take something that looked tired and old and turn it into something that looked fresh and beautiful. And she said, I, uh, this is her second marriage. She said, I don't want to spend a lot of money. I don't want, you know, so the, to take something that was being, had been tossed away and turn it into something special was really a nice project for us to do together. Yeah. Um, do either of your daughters sew? Both of my daughters learned to sew. Their mother made them. <laughs> sew. And they did, you know, they made basic things. They made garments. They became proficient at the sewing machine. Uh, neither of them loved it the way I did. And they say that happens when you have somebody who's really good at it. You know, a a mother who's really good at it, often her daughter will not embrace it like that. But my younger daughter did all of my beading for me. So she became a really good handwork person and she would bead my wedding gowns and things like that for me. Uh, So she, and she knits now and does some, you know, cross stitch and things like that. And then my French daughter, the one who's getting married, she lives in France. She does a lot of collage work on paper and I do a lot of collage work on fabric. So, you know, we share a lot of the same tools and she has actually started sewing a little bit because I do a retreat. Um, My company Fit for Art hosts a retreat in France every year. Uh, Of course, we haven't been able to go for several years and she helps me with it. So I had to buy a couple sewing machines to have over there and she keeps one at her house and she does now do some things with it. So, you know, I think that time you find she says, even if all I do is hem my jeans, it's, you know, it's a bargain. So they both know how to sew. They appreciate the sewing. They're really supportive of what I do, but they're not making their own clothes. Yeah, absolutely. They loved it. 
during the pandemic, when, you know, we, we stopped traveling, I would call and say, what do you want? <laughs> I ought to sew something to be able to write about it. I don't need anything else myself. <laughs> Let me make you something. <laughs> right. What That's would you like? What, what do you love sewing, Ray? What if you just have the time and hmm. you know there's no project in front of you and you just want to sew something? What, what do you love to sew? I would say that's a good question. I love to make piece to things. I love to combine fabrics, to play with combinations of fabrics. <laughs> and I do that for myself a lot. I love to give myself a challenge. So even when I was doing bridal, I would do that because you were always really quiet in like January and February, December, January, February was quiet. And I would say, okay, this January, I'm going to make something out of this fabric left over from somebody else's project or whatever. And it would always be pushing the envelope. You know, one of the things you learn in bridal is you're always working pretty much in white or ivory, but you're always pushing the envelope. This person wants this kind of sleeve. You've never done it before. This person wants this kind of embellishment. You've never done it before. So I'm always on the lookout for something I want to try that will push me somewhere else. And I think I sent you a picture of the sample I've been playing with because uh, we have this new tunic pattern. And I wanted to do a, a hemline that was shaped and also applique. Uh, and I haven't even done it yet, but it's I'm working on it. So I'm using your new wonderful new applique product, which I'm already wow. addicted to. Yeah. And perfect applique. It is. It is. Yeah. And so I always in my old age, I did not used to do this when I was younger, make a lot of samples because I believe that really teaches you how to do it. And when you actually sit down to do it, you feel like you know what you're doing. So right now I'm making samples and I made one sample and I'm not really crazy about the colors and how they're interacting. So I've got plan B and I'll be working on that before I actually do the garment. So for me, the fun is the whole process of deciding what I'm going to do, figuring out how I'm going to do it and then doing it and then writing about it and showing it to people. The the thing I like the least, I have to say in the modern social media world is the fact that I have to photograph everything. (laughs) And I find that that slows me down. Do you know what I mean? Like it keeps me from being, in some ways it's good because it makes me stop and really look. But on the other hand, I feel like it sort of keeps me a little less creative. At least it's a lot simpler to do these days than it used to be. It is. It's very true. (laughs) It's very true. But I love being in my sewing studio, which is not where I do my Zoom, which is a hot mess. And I love being in the middle of a mess. And I always have two or three projects sitting there and it will depend. So right now we're preparing to go to the American Sewing Guild annual meeting and um, teach there. And so I had a couple samples I needed to replace. They'd just gotten tired looking. So that was that's what I've been doing. I, you know, I have the stuff, I do it. And that's what this actually I'm teaching a class in creative hemline. So that okay. is the purpose of this new hemline I'm playing with. So <laughs> I'm always curious to know the kinds of tools that people use in their sewing. And you know, I just wonder, we've never really had, uh, at Sulky anyway, we've never had, you know, a traditional garment making thread as part of our line. We've always been more of a decorative thread company, but we do have a 50 weight cotton that's really, really great for constructing lightweight garments. Our polydeco polyester thread is is fantastic for bag making and, and constructing other things of that nature and for use with the serger. I just wonder in, in your work, do you 
typically go for more of sort of a matte finish like our cotton provides or more of a shiny finish like what our our polyester product provides? Or or do you ever use any of those products? Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, I do a lot of quilted garments. And so I use your thread often. Variegated thread, I think it's just was the greatest thing in sliced spreads when I first met it. I love it on my collage because you've already got a lot of stuff going on. So you might as well have some interesting thread also tying everything together. And I do use the 50 weight cotton. I think that for garment sewing, if it's the right color, you know, I'm all about the color. I I love the match more than I love what brand it is. Sure. Yeah. I've observed people in sewing stores or even in just craft yeah, stores, right, sure, right. you know, just stand around and look at them at the displays of thread. Right, and and right. always, it seems anyway, that they're mm-hmm. looking at the color primarily, not necessarily actually, even that this thread is good for for this right. particular technique. They're just, hey, does this color you match have my to fabric? Be, yeah. <laughs> you have to actually be careful now because there's so much thread yeah. that you can come home with the wrong thing. Yeah, I have to absolutely. say. So I use decorative rayon threads. I've used those for years in applique or attaching things. They're not great for building things, but they're good for attaching and decorating things. Cotton quilting threads. The more I have quilted, the more I've done that. I have a lot of fun doing sort of decorative surging and putting seams on the outside. Yeah. And often I'll have three different threads in the serger to create the little bit of sparkle and the little bit of color thing I want going on when I'm rolling the edge of an out exposed seam. So I use a lot of threads when I do that. And I have started doing a lot more hand stitching. So um, the Boro and Kantha stitching that has become fashionable, I have found to be fun sort of slow projects to work on. The bird coat that I have behind me, it was a Boro patch and applique process and it's all raw edge. And I did the whole thing by hand. Explain that to me, the Boro, this Boro that you- So Boro is a Japanese mending technique basically. Uh, It's what the poor farmers used, and and it's basically running stitch. Okay. You take chunks of all deteriorated garments and mend their garments. And so now, of course, their mended garments, some of which were passed down from generation to generation, are Uh layers and layers of patches. Uh Uh, And I have never touched one personally, but, you know, I've read about them and seen them. So it's kind of become a fashionable way to build cloth. Is that stitching that you do on that with a finer thread or a thicker thread? No, no, usually a pretty sturdy cotton. Okay. Yeah. And it's just, like I said, it's just running stitch. A so fairly similar, large similar to sa- Sashiko sort it of? It is. Yeah. So I would say Sashiko is the sort of high-end version of Boro. Oh, okay. okay. So I think that in, in the same way that in our country, when people were poor, they mended, which might be the exact same technique and stitches that embroiderers used in the, you know, high-end salons of their family home with their governess teaching them how to stitch. (laughs) But there are lots of rules around Sashiko because it's very, and I think told Japanese concepts of order and structure and the the farm, the fishermen weren't worried about that. They just needed the hole in their jacket fixed. That's exactly right. (laughs) But but it's very, you know, it's very soothing and it's not 
really that technical, but that layer, you know how important thread is, that layer of thread that moves through it, integrating all those pieces together is really important. I think we'd love Uh, our 12-weight cotton for that, our 12-weight. I think uh, I use it for that, yeah. Especially on the petite size spool, it's only 50 yards, uh, so you probably don't use a lot of yardage. You don't use a lot, it's true, but if you're doing a whole coat, which I did, you know, it takes a, a fair amount of thread. But I love it now that I have the insight to know that if a coat takes me three years, it's still a really wonderful coat. And in some ways, I can live into it and say, oh, you know, this would be better on it. You know, the more the longer I work on it and I'll pick it up and work on it and not. And as I've gotten older, I've found that I always have to have a hand stitching project because I don't get to sew as much as I'd like to. I do a lot of writing and typing and things like that. So if I haven't sewn for a couple of days, I have to do some hand stitching to keep my muscles and my hands Mm. in good order. So then when I have something big that I have to do, they're in, you know, they're still, my calluses are still (laughs) there. um, So that those, you know, that's just part of the of the process, but I do love it too. And I can, you know, I can sit in front of the baseball game, this sort of this time of year, baseball game, and just stitch and not worry about it. And I've started doing some really crazy little art things where I don't even know where I'm going with it. And you just like stitch and hope it comes out. (laughs) And and, and it's fun. It's it's very freeing. So any other must have tools or notions or things like that that are just like, I can't sew in my sewing room unless I have my X. What is that for you? Well, of course, scissors. And I have never warmed to the rotary cutter. I will, uh, I will say that. I do have an ergonomic one now that I am able to manage. Uh, And I can cut bias strips. I mean, that's about the limit of what I cut with it or sample packages for my students when I teach class. But I love scissors and I love pretty little scissors. So that ties in, I think, to my hand sewing. I like to have a beautiful pair of scissors sitting there that I know will trim that thread just right and be pretty. And I like nice needles. I mean, I think that's part of it, too. So I do have trusted sewing machines. I have a trusted sewing machine and two, and I have trusted serger. I have two trusted sergers too, actually. I'm not a machine-aholic, nor am I a, a foot, you know. Yeah. Because a lot of people really into the feet. My husband's, my husband <laughs> <Foot> fetishes. <laughs> he says, if you were a man, you would have one screwdriver and you would figure out one, you know, you would not have to have that many. I, I, I just do with, I think I learned that from my mother, do with yeah. what you have. But every now and then you meet one that that's helpful. I love the BSR for the free motion stitching on my yeah. on my machine. I, I probably couldn't live without that. Yeah, and, we we um, are an industry of gadgets, right? We have a lot. We of stuff. are. <laughs> we are. We are. I also have a lot of seam rippers. And I you know, there's never enough seam rippers. My house eats them, I believe. But I and, and I reading have, glasses. It is. It is. I wear my glasses all the time. So that's not a problem for me. And I have, you know, they have some now with fatter handles for arthritic hands. And I have some of those. So when my hands are tired, I can use one of those. Or I have beautiful ones people have given me with turned wood or, you know, pretty um, stone handles. And I I value all of those as so it does sound like it's my handwork tools that I love more than my um, 
than my actual, yeah. my well, actual. You're, you're touching them all the time, right? I am. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's, it's so tactile. Yeah. You know, I love fabrics. Fabrics are very tactile. I love to feel fabrics. That's one of my, I think that's been hard with only being able to buy things online, mm. not being able to feel it. Sometimes it's the texture yeah. or the opacity of something or the lack of opacity that I love about it that you don't really see in a picture. Online. If someone could figure out a way to add that dimension into online yeah. shopping, yeah. they'd rule the world, right? That's the right. one thing that's missing. We have great photography. We have all these great yeah. online tools mm-hmm. for giving you the proper visuals. Right. You know, obviously the descriptive tools with, yes. with text and other things, but, right. but that is the right. thing that's missing, right? right. The feel, right. how do you get that? <laughs> I would also say that I have a real appreciation for my patterns that fit me. And I do use them over and over and change them so that they don't always look the same. But I have never been a normal size. And so finding my fit and the fit that's comfortable on me, which is not tight. I mean, learning to put words and values on things like that, how I feel in my clothes, mm-hmm. it's been very important to me as I try to pass it on to my students and the people who use our patterns. It's not just the numbers on the tape measure. Right. It's it has there's so many elements of fit that we don't appreciate or label. And so the fact that I can go downstairs if I need a pair of pants. Now, do I love sewing pants? Not particularly, but I love wearing <laughs> pants and I need pants that go with my beautiful coats. So the fact that I can go down to my studio which is in my basement with a pre-washed piece of fabric and go down at lunch and have a pair of pants at dinner and know that they're going to fit me. It's just really, really valuable. Uh, that is great. So you, obviously sewing has provided you with many, many opportunities in your life and your career. I wonder if there are any particular makers or sewists within the industry or, or outside the industry that have been of particular importance to you that have helped you in some, uh, you know, measurable way that, you know, just is, mm-hmm. is sure. something that you, you feel strongly about or some someone who has just really helped you along the way. Is, is there? Is so I would there? say that Sarah Veblen has been a friend and colleague. We met the, at the organizational meeting of the Baltimore chapter of the professional association that has been very important to me. And she has taught me a lot about fit and we have learned, we learned a lot about fit together. She actually consulted and worked with us as a partner on our pants pattern, which is very complicated. Pants are very complicated. Mm -hmm. And she had a, a knowledge base that we wanted to tap into. And so we did it as a mutual project. And she helped me a lot when I was getting started and helped me gain confidence and encouraged me to write in ways that were very important to me. So she is a particularly important person. And there were a few people in the professional association early on who introduced me to sort of wearable art concepts. And it was a gal in Colorado and I I can't even pull her name out of my head right now. But she was older and was doing all these unbelievably creative things, mixing fabrics, using the same pattern over and over to do interesting and different things. And that was the beginning of my light bulb moment, that this was the sewing that was really going to mean the most to me. And I do think that I'm just a driven person. So I just would take these little bits that I would gain from other people and work them into what I was doing and keep pushing myself. Another thing that was really important to me 
which is, sounds really funny, but this professional group I belong to, Threads Magazine, started giving a challenge to every year. Hmm. And there were prizes given out and it had a theme and you had to create a, an ensemble or garment that worked around that theme. And that was another exercise that when I started doing that, and I did it every year for about 20 years, I have not entered the last couple of years, but I had entered really regularly forever and didn't win much, honestly, but it was <laughs> such a great personal growth experience yeah. to say, take this concept, think of how you would express that in fabric and actually express it in fabric. And so some of the techniques that I've ended up owning, if you want to say, or loving and utilizing in just everyday clothes, I developed using that platform as a way to push me to a new place. And my friends were all doing it too. So we were doing it together. Do you know what I mean? We were, well, what are you doing? Well, what are you doing? Or let's get together and work on it. Or so that you were, I could never get stuck in a rut. You know, I I was always being moved to a new place. Sometimes you just need something like that to push you, right? That's right. And that that was really an important. I would say my professional association is really the thing I would put ASDP, Mm -hmm. which I now sit on the board of their charitable foundation. I was the president at one time. I was chapter president and blah, 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 blah. But that is the place where I met the people who kept me moving forward, where I met the editor of So News, which allowed me to start writing for them, the editor of Threads. And that's how I met Ellen. I mean, the sewing world is full of all these great connections. And if yeah. you take advantage of them, they will move you in a new yeah. place. That's awesome. Is there something in sewing that's a technique or, you know, some discipline that you just haven't tried yet, but it's kind of on your bucket list? Hmm. I have tried a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) I I might not get a good answer. But I know there's something out there. (laughs) I have to say, you know, I have become more and more interested in thread. It's interesting that you brought that up because I find that the things you can do with thread I was introduced a while back to this concept of scrap lace, which also works with your, you use your Solvi mm-hmm, product mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. me. And that's something I have tried, but not explored a lot. And I've been thinking about it a lot, you know, thinking about mm, how can I do that? What can I do with that? So that is one. There are a lot of quilting techniques I have not mastered, and I'm interested in incorporating into garment sewing. And I would say that I have been trying for a while and still have not mastered. This is more of a design than sewing, but to develop an abstract eye. Mm. So my my eye uh, for art and artful expression is very, I would say, landscape oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. ground, sky, <laughs> flowers, <laughs> trees. I, I tend to be very landscape focused. So okay. I'm trying to become more abstract. More abstract. And as hence this, you know, little hand sewing project with where I don't even know where I'm going with it. It's just <laughs> marks on fabric and then I'm adding stitches. So that kind of more relaxed, sort of a little bit more random kind okay. of thing. And I don't know if I'll even like it, but it is definitely something I'm playing with and working with and trying to wrap my head around. And I'll still, I think, come back to things that are beautiful. I love beauty. I don't grow nice flowers, but I make beautiful flowers. (laughs) I work beautifully with floral fabric. So I love things that are beautiful. I love beautiful colors. I love beautiful combinations. You know, I think beauty is very underrated. these days. Yeah, for sure. 
But I do always come back. The whole business of abstraction, it's not always beautiful. And that is where I kind of get a little stuck. But <laughs> So when you're not sewing, what other types of things do you enjoy? What other hobbies maybe do you have or, or things that you like to no, do? That's a great question. My husband would say, I don't do anything but sew. But I sing. I love to sing. And I sing at my church. And I sing, I did for years, I have not done it since COVID with children. I used to teach a children's choir and kids to sing. And I love to do that. I love, I love music. It's the path not taken, you know, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's okay. It's been a wonderful hobby and my husband loves music too. So we go to concerts and we, we enjoy music in our home and we have friends who play music that we go listen to. And nice. so music is important. I love to eat. I love to go to restaurants and I'm not a terribly adventurous eater, but I do love to eat. My husband is an amazing cook. So he's really taken over most of the cooking, which I don't mind. I was going to say. Um, yeah. So I Jack think pot. that... Um, <laughs> I love to look at beautiful things. So one of the habits I've developed, and I like to read. I do read. I belong to a book group. But I find that reading, a lot of things you have to read these days are not calming and beautiful, you know. So I have taken... The world needs more of that, especially now. I know. I have taken to subscribing to a few magazines that like house design and so things with really beautiful pictures or antiques Mm. or things like this that I can just look at and read about. They put me to sleep in a way that a novel won't. You know, I read a novel. You're like, oh, I got to read the next chapter. I got to read the next chapter. So I can read, you know, I can read 20 minutes about what paint color they used in this house and I'm asleep. You know, and it it doesn't take me back to work. It keeps, but it's still, I'm looking at color. I'm looking at beautiful things and things that really push me in, in a direction that is fun for me and that I like to explore. So very cool. Ray, I always try to end the podcast with a particular question that I'm just curious to your answer. I've always said that, you know, as an industry, we don't sell threads. We don't sell stabilizers and needles and scissors and things like that nature. But what we're really selling is the feeling of accomplishment and Mm -hmm. satisfaction that comes with not just sewing, but just creating in general. Creating in general. Yes. Um, And I just wonder how you feel about that and, and how that thought or that feeling may have manifested itself in your own journey. Is there any part of that sort of that drives you? Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's what drove me to become a pattern designer and to sell patterns. I could have continued just fine making clothes for other people and expending my energy just doing that. But I felt for myself the power of learning to make my own clothes and feeling great in them and allowing them to be my creative expression. And I wanted to share that with other people. And what, you know, the clothing that's available now, I did not embrace this in my 20s and 30s. I embraced this when I was older and I couldn't go to the store and buy a pair of jeans that fit me or I couldn't find a nice pair of dress pants to wear without having to do so much alterations on them that I might as well have just made them myself. And so the the beauty and because I love fabric so much, it was just an, a, a simple combination of figure this out, girl, and figure out how to share it with other people so that there is that satisfaction of both creating something 
and creating something that makes you feel great. And that women are not always appreciated or honored. We are certainly older, overlooked, especially older women. No, no one really sees us. But if we are satisfied with our own personal expression and what we have done and how we can wear it and share it, that is so empowering, I think. We're seeing it now in younger women who also don't fit the sizing ranges that are available or they don't like the styles that are being created Mm -hmm. for people Mm -hmm. their size. And they're going, wow, like I can make this for myself. And it's so much more fun than anything I can buy. And I feel fabulous in it. And that is something that you can take with you through your whole life. You can change it as you get older. You can decide whether you want to be that visible or less visible based on what you make for yourself. And so I feel like that fit issue is hard and we are really trying to work on it to help other people not be so frightened by it Mm. because it's, you know, people can master making a handbag with all these zippers and things like this in it. I mean, they could have made three pairs of pants in the amount of time they made that (laughs) handbag, but they're afraid to make pants because they can't get, they don't think they can get them to fit them because they can't buy them to fit them in the store. So the whole process of getting people to trust that they can do this, that garments are not really that hard to make. And especially if you start simple and work your way up. And so we do offer, we offer retreats, we offer online consultations, we offer fitting opportunities wherever we go to help people get comfortable with their body, their body in clothes and how they can be creative to clothe their body. And that was a great lesson for me for sewing. And it is, I just think that I want people to be able to embrace that. People who sew, who are, you know, when a quilter says to me, I can't make clothes, I'm like, I can't make a quilt. I mean, I couldn't get all those pieces to fit together <laughs> over that expanse of space and time. I mean, it's like, so trying to change the conversation yeah. to include clothing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't. I don't want anybody to leave behind the other things they're doing and move to clothing and only sew clothing. That, I don't even only sew clothing. But I think that, you know, there it's different than what your home neck teacher yeah. taught you and all the rules. And, you know, it, it, there's a new way to make clothes. Well, and, this sounds interesting, though, right? Because clothing is the one thing that you have every day. Mm-hmm. You wear clothes every single day and mm-hmm. you wear them to all kinds of different places. So right. you have the opportunity if you're sewing clothing to show off the thing that you did right. far more than any right. other thing than you could sew. Even even a handbag. I mean, you change handbags yes. a lot. Right. Right. A quilt is in your home. So someone has to be in your home to see it. So, yeah, I love that your sort of mission there is to get more people to sew clothing and mm-hmm. to show them that they can do it well and mm-hmm. that they can look good in it when they're done. Mm-hmm. So right. hopefully we'll see more people doing that in the future and That's you'll right. have well, had a hand in it. Right. And we'll get Silky to be doing some clothing projects maybe. Yeah, on their, absolutely. Um, absolutely. On I'm your, sure on Ellen, your project planning. because Ellen would love to get you involved with uh, sewingonline.sulky.com, uh, which is our online education platform yeah, where we have yeah. lots of really cool 
video cast and webcasts. Yeah, uh, we'd right. love to have you on there doing some garment stuff. We don't have a lot of garment stuff out there. So, I know. We uh, have I, to get some more going. Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing your story with us today and all about what you do and what you're doing for the garment sewing world. So thanks a lot, Ray. Well, thank you so much for having me and for all your wonderful products. I do think that every person who contributes to the sewing industry makes a difference and we want to keep it alive. And sewing has nurtured me for such a long time. I really want to see it live and move into the next generations and be a powerful tool for other people as it has been for me. So if our listeners would like to learn more about you, Ray, or, or your business, mm-hmm. is the best mm-hmm. place for them to go fitforartpatterns.com or raycombe.com? You can go either one. Fitforartpatterns.com is really where you'll see everything about the patterns. Raycombe.com is uh, existed before Fit for Art Patterns ever existed. So it has more of the work that I did long ago has a list of all my publications and online videos that are available and things like that. So most of my newer work you'll see at Fit for Art. But if you want to read about the old Ray or the previous Ray, you can go to raycumby.com. And I don't nurture that site as much as I nurture the one for Fit for Art, but we are very proud of what we're doing at Fit for Art. We have really wonderful patterns. We redesigned our pattern envelopes during the pandemic to be more inclusive and to be on paper envelopes to get rid of our plastic bags. So we're, you know, we're trying to come into the modern world and... <laughs> Fantastic. Well, right. you want to... We do write, I just say, we write a blog every Tuesday. It drops on our website, fitforartpatterns.com, called So Let's Get Dressed. And if you are even, somebody listening is even the slightest bit interested in thinking about sewing garments, it's a great place to just subscribe, get that thing. If it's interesting, read it. It'll just keep garment sewing at the top of your head in a way that maybe it hasn't been for a while. You can see all the fun things we make. We make a lot of fun things and they're not all fussy or fancy. We make the clothes we wear every day. In fact, yeah. What a great place to get started with your garment sewing venture. So if you listen to this podcast and you want to get started garment sewing, check out Ray's blog. Yeah. Ray, again, pleasure to talk to you today and hopefully we'll get to see you around in person yeah. somewhere down the line here in 2022. That would be great. Thanks Have a, a good day. Yeah, uh-huh. you, you do the same. You take care. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Why So With Sulky. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and join us again for more fun stories that are sure to inspire your creativity. You can find more info and links for today's episode at sewingonline.sulky.com.